Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Welcome to the Collider.com podcast. I'm Collider.com senior editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is managing editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. Today we've got a bonus episode for you. We're going to be talking about the films of Judd Apatow, as well as his latest film, The King of Staten Island. So we wanted to sort of dig into Apatow's filmography. In the past, in a past episode, we talked about kind of the Apatow tree and sort of the branches of that and, you know, Seth Rogen and Jason Siegel and the people that were influenced by Apatow and worked with him and sort of went on to become their own creators and, and create their own things. Uh, but this one, we wanted to focus primarily on Apatow as a director, as a, as a comic voice. Uh, and we're going to also focus more on his features uh, as opposed to his documentaries, even though his documentaries are, are pretty good. Uh, Adam, I know, is a big fan of his uh, Gary Shandling documentary. Uh, but we wanted to talk more about Apatow's features and then get into a, a spoiler-free discussion of The King of Staten Island. And it's funny, you know, you look at Apatow, and I think he has... I, if you go back to 2005, what he did with The 40-Year-Old Virgin, no one else was doing at the time. Like, no one was really making that kind of free-flowing, improv-influenced... Um, comedy that was, and 40 year old virgin is not a short film. Like none of Apatow's films are short. Um, this one, 40 uh, year old virgin, I think is like two hours long, but it works. Um, and it's a film that I think kind of gets misunderstood a little bit. I think it's sort of people try to shove it into the same box as a film like knocked up when really 40 year old virgin isn't really about like this guy grow, you know, meets a girl and then like he has to grow up and like, yeah, that's part of it, but it's more. To me, 40-Year-Old Virgin has always been about the friendships uh, between the character, between the male characters uh, who all need to grow up uh, <laughs> rather than just uh, Steve Carell's character. Uh, but I, I, I think 40-Year-Old Virgin holds up very well in a way that I think somewhat eludes other Apatow films. Other Apatow films, I don't have as much interest in revisiting, but I, I can always kind of just pop on 40-Year-Old Virgin. And it's, it's still very watchable and quotable. It is. I mean, with the caveat that, like, some of the jokes are incredibly transphobic and incredibly homophobic. Like, comedy changes. Like, you look yeah, back. No, our culture has changed. And the thing, can I, if I can just interject real yeah. quick. If you think, like, ah, now we are the wokest we have ever been, <laughs> just, like, wait, wait 10 years, wait 20 years, and people are going to look at this moment and be like, oh, how did they ever, you know, how, how did they think they were so evolved? Because, like, it's not like everyone consciously was terrible. It yeah. just kind of happens, and that's why it's called progress. So yes. in 20 years, we'll be better than we are now, because right now we are better than we were in 2005. Yeah, and I think, you know, the best comedies hold up for their comedy. So, like, something like Airplane, um, you know, has misogynistic jokes in it and and is pretty troubling. Um, I haven't watched that in a long time. Shockingly, I also really like Airplane 2, <laughs> I should say. Sequel guy over here. Sequel guy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, all of that being said, like, understanding context and understanding that, you know, because I went back and I ranked all of Jed Apatow's film and films, and you can read that on uh, Collider right now. 
Um, and when I went back to revisit the 40-year-old version, there were some jokes that I, were, I was like, oh, that doesn't hold up very well. But by and large, the film, I think, holds up tremendously well. And that's to do with the characters, and that to do with the comedy coming from the characters. Um, so the discomfort that Steve Carell is able to bring out of uh, of his character when he kind of outs himself as a virgin at that poker game, I think, is just so funny. Um, and then really, it's ultimately a film about like men having just the worst ideas of how to get women. Because, <laughs> I mean, the movie is long. But he kind of goes through the different friends to figure out, like, all right, so how do you get a girl? And Paul Rudd has this just really unhealthy fixation on his ex-girlfriend, played by Mindy Kaling. Uh, Seth Rogen's character is just kind of filthy. Uh, Romney Malko's character is like, just get a prostitute, get it over with. You know, that's how you want to do it. I think Seth Rogen's character's advice is, like, to to be David Caruso and Jade, like, just ask questions, <laughs> which is just the worst advice. But ultimately, what, you know, what makes that film sweet and what makes it endearing is that it's a story of this character – learning to be himself. And that's how he gets, uh, not gets, because the woman isn't the prize in the film, but that's how he finds love. And, you know, ultimately it's a story of, yes, a guy who's never had sex, but also a guy who's very lonely. Um, You look at his life and he has that, you know, his schedule on the refrigerator and he's playing trombone and he's playing video games, but he's alone. And and it's companionship that he's looking for. And and that's what he finds in Catherine Keener's character. Right. And I also think with the friends, I think this is sort of a story about a guy who learns to make friends yes, uh, yeah. from people that were afraid he was going to turn them into a lampshade. So. <laughs> he thought he was a serial killer. His whole egg salad sandwich bit with Seth Rogen is so funny. Where <laughs> he's like, oh, man. he's like, do you have a good weekend? He's like, oh, yeah, Friday. I was really craving an egg salad sandwich. So, you know, I went to the store and I got some mayonnaise and some eggs. <laughs> Spent all day Sunday Sunday making it. And after I was done, I just didn't really want an egg salad sandwich anymore. And that was his weekend. There's like, I, I think that film also has some really great, like, I think the improv that Apatow allows, the sort of the alts and the, you know, the, the, the film has its structure and it has its, but within it, people are allowed to like, you know, you know, toss out their own ideas. So that's how I think you get a line, like when they're watching, they're all watching uh, the Bourne identity. <laughs> And yeah. Paul Rudd just says, you know, I always thought Damon was kind of a Streisand, but he's rocking the shit in this. And it's just <laughs> such a weird kind of observation. Yeah. But I, I always thought Damon was kind of a Streisand. I'm going to Yamo blow my brains out. <laughs> yeah, that whole, that whole thing. And I also think understanding that you have like a deep bench of comics. So like if yeah. Jane Lynch wants to just come on and talk about her first sexual relationship. and. <laughs> You know, it's it works so well. Well, and something that happens, I've been watching some interviews and listening to some interviews with him recently um, with King of Staten Island out. And he talks about how um, even going back to 40 year old version, even going back to freaks and geeks, he really relishes hiring people who have not acted before or people who like he likes the idea of discovering people. And he says, like, even people, you know, like Bo Burnham and funny people like he didn't have a big part, but he just wanted to be able to plant a flag and be like, I knew this guy was funny before he like exploded. And that's why you look at Apatow movies and they have such a deep bench because uh, his eye for comedy and, and and his ability to listen to other people that he's working with are people in the comedy world and say like who's funny who should i know um even pete davidson you know he shows up in train wreck that was just judd apatow going to amy schumer and saying who's funny in new york who should i know and she said this guy pete davidson and 
I think after like an hour of improv, Bill Hader was like, I'm going to uh, suggest Lauren Michaels hire you on Saturday Night Live. So like it, it's just a really good eye for talent and a willingness to kind of embrace people who are a little green. And I think that makes things a little bit more free flowing. I mean, the theme in, in all of Apatel's films is relatability. These are uh, not like Hollywood movie star leading men that are in these movies. They're kind of schlubs. And it became a trope of um, kind of the underachieving, uh, you know, dude bro who just, you know, sits at home and plays video games. Um, but I think as we get into some of the other films, I, I think his films have become a little misconstrued because I think the films know that these guys are not mature. No, I definitely feel like they're, I don't want to say it's a misreading, but there's is sort of, I think missing the forest from the trees. So for instance, if you move on to like knocked up, the idea is like, Oh, there's this guy. And like, he could never get, you know, a, a woman as hot as Catherine Heigl, which is its own sort of can of worms. But in terms of, you know, oh, he just has to learn to man up and then, you know, he becomes a responsible guy. And I'm like, and while that is the arc of the film, I also feel like it's not a film. It, it's sort of, it's a coming, what Apatow is telling is sort of the a coming of age story. And he keeps kind of coming back to these stories of rest development. It's like, how do you break out of this cycle? Um, and I think when you look at it from that perspective, it becomes a more interesting film rather than like, how does the guy get the girl Um, or how does like, like, Oh, you know, dude bros need to grow up. But like, I think Apatow has seized on something real, which is that especially in our current age, like there is a lot of arrested development. Like we have a society and a kind of a consumer culture that it, that purposely infantilizes people. Like it tries to infantilize you because if you're infantilized, you're going to want to buy more things and you're going to want to desire more things, but it doesn't really force you to grapple with hardship in a way that like, oh, World War II has come along. That being said, I also don't think that that holds as much water in a, like a post 9-11, post-recession, now post-pandemic world. I think we've now kind of said, OK, yeah, we have had some hardships um, that we've had to face as a society um, which is why I think King of Staten Island actually feels like a more mature film than something like Knocked Up, which is fine. Like Knocked Up is fine, but I never really have much of a desire to ever revisit it. I rewatched it um, and it is still pretty funny. There are still jokes that don't work as well. Um, I think uh, kind of the the highlight of Knocked Up is is Leslie Mann and mm-hmm. Paul Rudd, I think, obviously, because they spin off. But I think their relationship is really funny and their interplay is really funny. I think Leslie Mann is a consistently underrated comedic talent. Oh, absolutely. Uh, someone we don't really appreciate enough. Um, but it is a film about, you know, like guys in their early 20s just hanging around and, you know, doing nothing and working on this project they think is going to make them rich. That's just so dumb. Um, that but already then, exists. Yeah, that already <laughs> exists. And, but then like Avatar having fun with the improv, like the whole idea of Jason Siegel's character kind of like womanizing <laughs> Leslie Mann's character uh, is kind of funny. And it feels like that's born out of the improv of like him creating a character there. And that's something that I think a lot of the films that tried to copy the Apatow formula missed is that they would just populate it with a bunch of guys and then they would just let them riff and improv. But I think in, in Apatow's films, the, you know, no matter, no matter how small the role, the actor still kind of fleshes out a character. Like, you know, Martin Starr's character in Knocked Up doesn't have a ton to do, but he does feel distinct. Uh, Scorsese on Coke, uh, just growing his beard. Um, 
which is kind of funny and, and kind of enjoyable. Um, but I agree. I think, you know, ultimately that that movie was interesting to watch because it, my recollection of it, it and it came out when I was uh, like 20, I think, or 19. And so I was like, yeah, these guys are really funny. You know, this is kind of like me and my friends uh, kind of joking around and hanging out. Um, but reading the film as a 30 something now, uh, it very clearly knows that Ben is being dumb, <laughs> like Ben is being immature and like he gets this woman pregnant and he has to have a baby and he's forced to grow up. What I think sets that film apart is that Ben's decision to start reading the baby books to get his own apartment is not an attempt to win back Catherine Heigl's character because they've already broken up at this point. And there's no like he's not trying to woo her, but he's doing it because he knows it's the right thing to do. Um, and he knows in order to be a good father is the right thing to do. I do think the film still takes like some detours that are unnecessary. Like the whole Vegas trip, I think, is like funny in spurts, but it's not necessarily necessary. Um, I don't think. Uh, but there is a darkness to the Pete and Debbie characters that I think Apatow really embraces in This Is 40 uh, of a married couple that love each other, but sometimes also hate each other. Yeah, I feel like the thing about Apatow films is that the way that they're made and the reason that I think they're too long is because he really relishes the test screening process because for him, test screenings aren't like, Oh no, the studio is going to take my movie away from me, whatever. He's viewing it sort of like a, as a comic that would be going out on the road, testing out material for the special and the way that, and so when he's test screening a film, he's going to test like the alt and he's going to test like the length. And if something is working in the room, he's going to leave it in there. And I think that sort of makes him a little blind to pacing issues. So yeah. like, you know, if the Vegas stuff was getting laughs in the test audience from the test audiences, then it stays in, even though it doesn't really add anything to the characters or the story. Like you yeah. could remove it and the film would be fine, but because it got laughs at one point, it kind of stays in. Um, and I think that, that especially the, the notion of this kind of inflated film really, I think more than any other Apatow film really gets away from him in funny people. Yes. <laughs> um, because the, the, the most, the, the best critique I heard of funny people when it came out was funny people is two films and one of them is good. Yeah. And I would, I would agree. Like, I think there's Seth, what the, what is happening in the Seth Rogen storyline is pretty interesting about this kind of aspiring comic who's kind of working his way and is in this weird relationship with this movie star. But like, what is like the movie stars? What if his life could have been this? And what if, you know, this whole, like everything that's happening with Sandler and his individual journey is not as good as what's happening in the Seth Rogen storyline. Which is so disappointing because we know that Sandler can do drama and we know that Sandler and Apatow have been friends for ages. They were roommates. Um, this really felt like a project that was born... Hey, maybe one, maybe next to This Is 40 is probably Apatow's most personal um, because he had that mentorship uh, relationship with Gary Shandling. Mm -hmm. uh, but Gary Shandling wasn't a dick. And so I think he struggled to find conflict. Like, where is the conflict in telling this mentor relationship with a comic? I thought, uh, you know, I think it's interesting the, the comic world that Seth Rogen's character inhabits. I think the conflict of not telling Jonah Hill that Adam Sandler's character wants them to write jokes for him and kind of stealing Adam Sandler's character for himself. I think that's an interesting conflict, but I do understand that you could run into kind of the studio 60 problem where it's like comedy is the most important thing in the world. Right. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's a tough line to walk because comedy is a serious business, but no one wants to watch that. Yeah. No one wants to watch someone agonize over jokes Yeah. Um, in the way that we're fine. Like in, in kind of in the same way that like, we also don't necessarily want to watch someone agonize over music 
it's really hard to show someone like come up with a song and usually what you'll get is like, you know, a, a Bohemian Rhapsody to like, Hey guys, what do you think of this? And like, <laughs> I have the riff already in mind and the song just comes out perfectly. And like, that's how we kind of want comedy to be. It's like, ah, hey, he got up on stage and he had all the jokes. And I think, you know, I feel like a film like, um, which Apatow produced, I feel like the big sick is better at kind of showing that comedy world and how you're just trying to find yourself as a performer and find your voice. But like, these are like the baby steps to finding a bigger audience. And like, also like comedians are kind of vicious with each other, you know, like you don't want to be, you don't want to be people say Sam. <laughs> <laughs> the best depiction of it that I've seen is also something Avatar produced, which is crashing the HBO series with mm. Pete Holmes. Yeah. Um, and Avatar directed a bunch of that as well. And that's where I think he refined it because it is a story of, it's deeply personal to Pete Holmes because it is his life story. Um, you know, devout Christian married for married his high school sweetheart and found out she was cheating on him and decided to go out and finally like, um, you know, do his dream of becoming a comedian in New York city. Uh, but like everything is rooted in that deeply personal experience for that character. And that character is really endearing. So he's not a dick like Adam Sandler's character. Cause he's just so nice. Like he's still, I think Pete Holmes still considers himself a Christian. Like he's just a very nice guy. Uh, navigating this world of like vicious comedians and right. trying to make That's it. The, thing. the world is so, like the comedy world, especially the stand. Like I want to also make clear that there are different comedy worlds. Like yeah. in the improv world, it's a little different um, because it, it, it's by its very nature, it has to be collaborative in order to make a scene. Um, but stand-up comedy is un, un, unsurprisingly vicious because what a lot of stand-up comedy is, is I'm going to go out there, bear my soul and make fun of my soul. And there's only so much room at the top, you yeah. know, which is why I think, you know, not to get too off topic, but why I think a film like that's kind of ingenious is like, don't think twice, which manages to find a competition in the improv world and that sort of push and pull. But anyway, even though Apatow wasn't involved with don't think twice, watch don't think twice. <laughs> yeah. So in funny people, it's like, he's creating this conflict, which is Adam Sandler is playing an exaggerated version of himself. Um, and then is also dying and is also still in love with Leslie Mann's character. Like it's just too much story. Who is, all, who is currently married. Yeah. He's currently married. And, and like the idea that like, he's told he's going to die, but he doesn't really change. Um, like he decides to, you know, try and make amends, but he doesn't really change as a person that much. And then when he's told he's better, uh, he's just back to being a dick again. <laughs> it's very strange. And like, there's, there's this weird, like sexual conflict with Aubrey Plaza's character with Jason Schwartzman and all that stuff going on. And then once they drive up to Leslie Mann's house with Eric Bennett, it's just a completely different movie. Yeah. And then it changes and it's, it's also, also just because you're just watching infidelity. You're just watching this guy screw around with this married woman and Seth Rogen being like, what are you doing? Like, that's the last 45 minutes to an hour. Right. There's also like a bunch of, again, to speak to like, hey, if something's getting last, we're going to leave it in there. there remember Randy? Remember yes. Aziz Ansari's character, Randy? Randy. Remember Randy. Randy, for those who don't know, Randy was a sensation in 2010. <laughs> People could not get enough Randy. There was going to be a Randy movie. Yeah. So that was, yeah. <laughs> that, that's how, how much, like, I think if, if Apatow was a little bit more severe with himself, Randy would have ended up on the cutting room floor. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny. And it's and it, funny, but like, is it, it, it doesn't matter to any of those characters. 
No, and it also feels like, again, like planting a flag, being like, I understand that Aziz Ansari is funny. I am showing you that I put him in my movie before he got super famous. Right, which, and, 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 and to me, the irony there is like, now no one really thinks about that Aziz Ansari is isn't is yeah. funny people. Like, it's like, oh no, I know him from Parks and Rec. Or, you know, if you want, if you want to go with a deeper cut, I know him from Human Giant. You yeah. know, like there's, there's no reason that I have to plant a flag is is a bit immature yeah um and then so after funny people it's it this is 40 was next right yeah and that oof, yeah. it <laughs> i like <laughs> i like that film anything. i like that film most as a drama between paul rudd and and leslie mann and i think leslie mann is doing amazing work in that movie i think she is just if because it was sold as a comedy, like the Academy would never pay attention to it. But like, if you put that as a drama position as a drama, like Leslie Mann would like, you'd have to consider her because she's just so freaking good in that movie. She's incredible in that film. I don't know. I think that movies bones are good. And I think the central idea of it is solid and that it's, you know, a portrait of a marriage and this is 40. Like they have two kids. I think where it fails is it doesn't necessarily show that they love each other enough. Because they're just miserable for two and a half hours. They are bickering constantly. They are fighting. They are resenting one another. Aside from really like the trip where they go and get stoned in the hotel room, you don't really get the sense that they like each other very much. And they're struggling to parent. Um, And then you add on top of that, like the rich white people problems, like they have a very nice house and he runs a record company. And at the end, like the fix to like, oh, no, my financial woes, what will I do? And it's like, well, you could ask Billy Joe Armstrong to be in. I think it's it. No, no. Ryan Adams. Brian Adams. Ryan. Ryan Adams. Uh, Why don't you ask Ryan Adams to be on your record label? And He's like, oh, okay. And like, that's it. It's just like ask the famous person. Uh, there's also like again that film feels over stuff. Like there's all the things with like Paul Rudd and like his father played by um, Albert uh, Brooks. Yeah, Albert Brooks. I was gonna say Ashley Brooks. I'm like that's not a that's not a person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So Albert Brooks and like yeah, so there's that whole thing and then there's all these like weird drop-ins. Like and Lena Dunham is here for some reason and like and here's a scene with Melissa McCarthy and like. All right. Well, and Leslie Mann's father, too, John Lithgow, which, again, is like it's digging into like realistic stuff, which is, you know, you're a couple. And then like uh, like his dad, he's secretly giving his dad money, which makes Leslie Mann resent him. And then Leslie Mann's father wants nothing to do with her. Like, that's something that like if you're 40, like uh, you still have your parents around, like you do still have problems and issues. To me, it's like all of that stuff is real, taken piecemeal, but it's a film is the wrong format for it. It's like if that's what if that's what you're interested in exploring, like middle aged marriage and sort of the highs and low of that, that's probably a series, you know, and not a sitcom, just like a series that just that way you're like, I can dig into these characters and really explore what they're what they're about rather than forcing them into this framework of a film that doesn't really have a structure. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's that's one of my big problems with this is 40 is the structure that there's just not really one there. Um, but there is stuff I like in it. Like there is no Abaddon movie that I hate. I don't hate funny people. No, there. Yeah, there's no one that I'm like, oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Um, and this is 40, I think. Yeah, I think I put it second. This is to 40 last. comes pretty close. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, and it's just like the experience of it is like for me, it's just kind of misery because they are miserable and like he's sneaking cupcakes and that's funny. But then you're also like, oh, yeah, like she hates that he's sneaking cupcakes and they are genuinely fighting about it. So like this isn't like it's funny, but it's also like, oh, yeah, it's another you know problem that scene where she's really upset that he went to see Spider-Man three without her. <laughs> what is that? But for two and a half hours, that's a, a another criticism I have of Apatow films is, is like the comedy for the most part is pretty good, but the pop culture references date them so terribly because that is an entire like subplot and knocked up. It's like Spider-Man three. Like the guys are like, Oh, we got to go see Spider-Man three. And you know, she's like, Oh, I wanted to see Spider-Man three. And now like 13 years later, it's like, what? And you ask kid, it was like 19 to watch that movie. He's like, was that, did they make another Garfield one or like what? Like it just gets confusing. (laughs) So I don't think it works super well whenever that I mean, it's fine for what it is i mean even as a modern viewer like yeah there's a spider-man movie and they made three of them (laughs) they made three of this first one and then it's it's a sequel with a superhero well but the idea at the time because i remember when knocked up came out and i saw in theaters spider-man 3 was coming out like a month later so it wasn't necessarily a joke it was like oh yeah no 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 no. it came out a month spider-man 3 came out a month before knocked up four okay yeah in 2007 because <laughs> spider-man 3 kicked off the summer and then knocked up came out like a month later oh uh, okay but it my experience of it was like oh yeah like everyone is talking about spider-man, Spider-Man 3, 3 but now no one's talking about it i, I see what you're saying it just it's kind of like oh because in the moment like that works pretty well it's like yeah this movie is ubiquitous like everyone uh, i mean in hindsight that movie sucks but we didn't know it sucked yet so um and then I think I think Apatow makes a very smart decision and he shifts gears and says, OK, I'm kind of out of stories about myself to tell. I want to see what other people are saying and see if I can just use my clout to elevate their storytelling. So with Trainwreck, that's an Amy Schumer film. And Apatow just kind of makes himself, I don't want to say invisible, but he sort of just gives her the stage. Yeah. And I think it's I think Trainwreck was kind of his strongest comedy and i'll, I'll and that, the reason i, I make a com- caveat about comedies because i don't necessarily see staten island as a comedy um but i think trainer was like his strongest comedy probably since 40 year old virgin i think it has some of the strongest jokes i think it, it i think it even though it's not a short film it it's comedy feels tighter you know there's still some scenes i would drop but like you know, I think it has some really it knows how to use its ensemble in a really smart way. So like when LeBron James is just talking about, you know, is raving about Cleveland, you know, <laughs> that's, those are really funny scenes. Or I think John Cena is fucking hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will enter you. <laughs> yeah. Like it's a really smart way or like Tilda Swinton is like used really well in that yeah. movie, as is um, I. I uh, Ezra Miller is used yeah. like, re- like, you know, like to the point, like I forgot what Ezra Miller was in the film. And then like my wife was rewatching train train wreck one day and I was like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. He's in that. Yeah. The, the ensemble is stacked. Um, I think Randall Park is in it as well. Like, again, it's just a really great yeah. ensemble. What I really love about train wreck though, is that it is a traditional romantic comedy. And I think Amy Schumer and Bill Hader are both fantastic in that film as, as, these romantic comedy leads. It is also deeply personal to Amy Schumer. And I think that's, I mean, we're not necessarily talking about Apatow's television work on this program, but 
he I think he's a really good shepherd of talent. Like I, I think even girls, like no matter how controversial that show got, that was him shepherding Lena Dunham's voice. Um, Crashing was him shepherding Pete Holmes's voice. Uh, Love, I can't. I didn't watch Love, but I know that show was personal to the person who created it. Uh, I'm apologize, I can't remember the person's name. Um, but I think he's very, and you know, Freaks and Geeks to a degree was more Paul Feig show than it was Jed Apatow's. He's a good mentor. He's a good yeah. sort of, he knows how to like help other people with their stories. Um, even if, you know, the stories that he has become known for are like arrested development stories. Yeah. And Trainwreck is in some regards an arrested development story. Um, I don't know, but I don't know. It feels a bit, I, I like that it has a female lead that switches things up. But yeah, she's it, not... well, it's, it changes the complexion completely. Like the way that she's arrested is not the same that as as Seth Rogen's character in Knocked Up. Yeah, or Paul Rudd's character in This Is Forty, or Jason Siegel's character in Forgetting Sarah Marshall, or you know the super bad guys. <laughs> like all of those films are male protagonists, and they are fairly similar in the problems that those characters face. Um, I think Trainwreck is specific to. Um, this female character, but also specific to her life. I mean, if you know anything about Amy Schumer, you know her father does have MS. Her father hasn't died, um, but I imagine that's something that she worries about. Mm-hmm. And to depict that in the film, I think that's a really strongly emotional scene, that funeral, uh, where she gets up and gives that speech, I think is is really moving. Um, and the conflict that she has with her sister, played by Brie, Lar- Brie Larson, which is, it's insane that Brie Larson and Mike Birbiglia are just like supporting characters in this movie. Um, I think that relationship works a lot better than some of the side stories in other Apatow films. It feels inherently connected to this character's journey because, yes, it is a romantic comedy, but she's the protagonist and it's her life that she's trying to get together. So her problems with her life intersect with her problems with her boyfriend and her problems with her father, which intersect with the problems with her sister. It's not like a separate like because even the like Tilda Swinton and Ezra Miller stuff, it does feel like that was toned back a little bit because you could have a whole side quest of like the problems at work and her boss, right. all of that stuff. And that gets toned down to really hone in on on the relationship story, which I think works really well. Yeah, no, I think it's a very strong film, and I kind of hope that Apatow and Schumer kind of work together again someday. I think they made a really good team. I think cinematically it's a huge step up as well. I mean, Apatow works with really interesting cinematographers. Janusz Kaminski, who is Spielberg's cinematographer, shot Funny People. Um, Let me see who shot This Is 40, because I think This Is 40 looks pretty good. Uh, Yeah, Fidon Papa Michael, uh, who works a lot with, um, uh, gosh, uh, Nebraska filmmaker. What's his name? Alexander, Alexander Payne. Yes, yes. Um, and Trainwreck was shot by Jody Lee Leips, who shot, or Leaps, uh, who shot Manchester by the Sea and Girls. Um, but Trainwreck just has this really grainy look that I think looks really, uh, really fantastic. It looks really textured um, and wonderful. Uh, and then he steps up, I think, again with King of Staten Island. Yeah, with Elswood. Yeah, I think, yeah, to move into King of Staten Island, it's, I, I don't feel like that's really Apatow making a comedy. I mean, I think it's easy for the trailers to sell it that way. And obviously Pete Davidson's like, oh, he's on SNL. So he's a funny guy. And like, yeah, he is a funny guy. But like, it's kind of like about a guy who's like, you know, in a previous Apatow film, like a guy is in arrested develop is in a state of arrested development because he had some bad sexual experiences or, you know, he's just, or he just never grew up anyway. Like it's not, it's not really plain. This guy's in a state of arrested development because his dad died as a firefighter, which is based on Pete Davidson's dad who died in 9-11, like was a yeah. firefighter that died in 9-11. So like that's some really heavy stuff. 
And it's not that like you look at King of Staten Island, it's not like that joke a minute kind of like, ah, everyone's clever. Everyone has a good one liner. Like it's not that movie. Like it has some funny jokes, but it's not like, hey, let's, you know, let's keep them laughing. It's it's really more of a character piece. And while it is very shaggy and shapeless, I feel like I kind of for me that didn't bother me so much because I feel like that's a good reflection on the protagonist. Like, that's the story that this protagonist is going to, I'm going, it's in tune with him. It's in sync with what he's like. Uh, Because if I got like this, like, you know, quick, efficient, you know, 90 minute story, I'm like, well, that's kind of, that doesn't seem to fit the story that we're, the person that we're talking about, does does it? So, well, I think it's kind of a double-edged sword uh, in terms of like, yeah, this film could be shorter. I feel like ultimately it works in the film's favor. I do. I think you like this movie a little bit more than I did. I didn't hate it, but I do feel like it's a little bit like cheating because like, yes, this is very much in tune with Pete Davidson's character, but also but the shapelessness also, is, is Judd Apatow. No, it, that's a, it's a good meeting of like, it's not like Apatow, like, ah, usually I make very efficient movies, but yeah, that, I would just say it's a good pairing yeah, uh, yeah. in this instance. It's kind of like, is it purposeful or is it just like, this is the way he makes movies? Yeah. Um, but I do agree. It's not super funny. And I don't necessarily know how funny it was supposed to be. Um, I don't know. I think it. I think the opening scene sets the stage pretty well. I, I think it's a very striking opening scene that kind of gets you in the mindset mm-hmm. of, of more of a drama. And you can see, you know, even in Knocked Up, like I remember at the time that Knocked Up came out, one of the reasons I was raving about it was that I thought it was very funny, but also very sweet. And it took time to kind of take its characters seriously. And this is a direction that Apatow has been moving in for a very long time. Um, So it's kind of nice to see him just full on do a drama. And you can see the bad version of this movie coming a mile away where, you know, he's aimless and his mom starts dating someone and he acts out and then he and the guy become best friends in the end. Uh, And that's a less interesting story, I think. Um, I don't know. I do. I do feel like this movie is very shapeless uh, and it tested my patience at times, but I do ultimately like where it ends up. And I did get choked up towards the end. I do think there are some emotional moments towards the end that that are very raw. Yeah, I think it it, I think it it hit some emotional beats that have that that Apatow has never gone for or at least that he's never quite hit before. And then he succeeds here. And I think Davidson is a unique protagonist. I'm not sold that like, oh man, like, you know, there's sometimes you see an actor and it's like, man, I got to see them in everything. Yeah. I still don't feel that way about Pete Davidson. Sure. I mean, I've seen him in this. I've seen him in big time adolescence. I see him on it on SNL. I, you know, he's, and I feel like in terms of the niche that he's working in, he's very good within that niche. Yeah. Um, And so the film works because it's working within that niche. Like, as like, oh, he's a lovable dirt bag, <laughs> you know, like, but I don't know if like, the thing is, is like, I don't know if like, oh, well, no, you know, they just announced this movie with like Pete Davidson and, and Colin Jost are going to be starting a movie together about a wedding gone wrong. And it's like, I could give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> that does not sound interesting <laughs> at all. <laughs> so, yeah, like it, I would feel like this is just a really good film of terms of like a filmmaker and an actor and they co-wrote it together. Like, I mean, that they are in sync for this film uh, and that it works to their I think the King of Staten Island plays to their strengths. 
Yeah, and I love that it heart this is a mother son story. I think Marissa Tomei mm-hmm. gives a really great performance in this film, even if she may be tired of these mother roles. She, as she, told, she told us. As she told our own Perry Nemiroff. Uh I appreciate the candor. Um I I mean essentially saying after she took the mom role in Spider-Man Homecoming, that's basically all she's getting offered now. Um but I think she knocked it out of the park. I think she does a really tremendous job here. I think it's an interesting story of like a you know, a kid whose dad died when he was young, but that doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that his mom's love life is over. Her companionship is over. Um, and, and, you know, it's kind of instigated at the beginning of this film by uh, his younger sister going off to college, um, which is kind of interrupting the family dynamic that has existed for that time, um, which I think is an interesting, interesting twist as well. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's sweet. And I think Tomei does a really great job. I think Bill Burr is really good in the film as well. Um, and I think Davidson is, he's an interesting actor. I think he's an interesting performer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the film works. I just feel like it's one of those movies where I feel like I have to caution people. Like don't go in expecting knocked up. Don't yeah. go in expecting train wreck. Like don't, it's not that movie. It yeah. really is more on the dramatic side than you're expecting. And I think yeah. it's a, it's a hard film. I, and I, I, to be honest, like uh, while, while I'm glad that they decided to just go ahead and release it on VOD, I would have been fascinated to see what the box office was on this film. Yeah, I would have too. And I kind of wish I had seen it in a theater. Like I don't like watching movies on my computer at all. Oh, I don't like it at all. No. And I watched this as a screener on my laptop and that may have been part of why my attention was kind of drawn other directions um, or may have contributed to my getting frustrated with kind of its aimlessness. Um, So I do wish I could have seen this in a theater and I do think it's really handsomely shot. Um, uh, But, you know, this is the world we live in now and I'm, I'm glad I got a chance to see it. I'm glad I didn't have to wait a year. Yeah. So uh, anything else to add about, Apatow again, like we didn't get into all of his documentaries. Yeah, I would say that if you haven't seen the Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling, I would highly suggest seeking that out. It, it basically, when Gary Shandling died, who was Judd Apatow's mentor, um, Judd Apatow was going through his stuff and he just found his diaries, his notebooks. And, you know, Gary Shandling throughout his life had always been this rock, this really solid source of advice and courage and this moral center. And going through his diaries, he's reading Gary working out his own neuroses, his own anxieties, his own fears. Um, And so it's using footage, like archival footage, to tell um, the story of Gary Shandling, basically. And it's it's very sweet and very sad of this guy who... Um, I don't know, just struggled so much when he couldn't see in himself the thing that everyone else saw in him, mm-hmm. which was this very kind, warm, extremely talented man. Um, there's also just some really funny stuff in it. Like, he's very funny. There's some really funny recollections of working with uh, Mike Nichols on What Planet Are You From? They did not get along at all, hated each other, like, from the get-go when Gary wrote that movie and starred in it. Mike Nichols directed it. Um yeah, I don't know. Just a really, really good documentary. I think it's in two parts. It's like, if you think Apatow's feature films are long, I think Zen Diaries is like four or five hours in total. Um, so it's multiple parts. It should be on HBO Max now if you have it because it's yeah. on HBO. Um, but it is a really fascinating watch if you're into comedy or uh, Gary Shandling or just like life and people. So yeah. I suggest. Cool. Um, so. <laughs> Before we started recording, I didn't put a poll into the field about what we should talk about next week. So I don't know. It'll be a poll. I'll put the poll out tomorrow. We'll so too. We'll talk about some movie that's on Netflix. Um, we will let you know. We'll, we'll let you know. Um, but we'll go back to our regularly scheduled programming uh, next week. Although, you know, and the thing is, is as we move into July, 
we're sort of in this tricky position uh, and we'll probably have to talk about this off air about what to do because I, I don't know about you. I don't personally feel comfortable. Even if like I get to go see tenant, like if I see tenant, it's going to be in like a theater with like 20 other critics in a theater that houses like hundreds of seats. So like we won't have to sit next to each other and we'll all be wearing masks and like, that'll be the way to see the movie, but like not everyone's going to have that opportunity. So the movie could be great. And I'd be like, Hey, don't go see Tenet. <laughs> Cause like it's yeah. honestly, people's safety is more important to me than any movie. So as movies reopen, I don't know if this podcast will pivot to like, Hey, we're talking about Tenet this week. Uh, or if we'll just be like, no, we're going to talk about the films of Christopher Nolan, but we're not going to talk about Tenet specifically because we don't want you to go see Tenet because we don't want you to jeopardize your health. I think in the year of our Lord 2020, if you've learned anything, it's impossible to predict what's going to happen a month from now. So yeah, I yeah. still just have no idea what the like, what does America look like on July 31st? I have no idea. Oh, God. Yeah, Absolutely no idea. That just gave me a chill thinking about <laughs> what that could possibly be. And then Zorb came down from the heavens and now we all worship Zorb. <laughs> It's not even like I'm certain something bad's going to happen. It's just like I genuinely like anything. It looks Zorb could come down. You know, we're all waiting, anxiously waiting Zorb. So (laughs) (laughs) no idea. So So, I mean, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But I am curious to see like how the movie going public feels about it, because like from all the stuff coming out of the CDC, from everything doctors are saying, the most of the transmission is happening where people are in a closed space with a lot of people for an extended period of time. That is a movie theater. That's a movie and, theater. And none of these movie theater chains are requiring masks. I don't even know, like some aren't even encouraging it. Like Cinemark sent out a promo image where only two of like 10 people had masks on. Yeah, so. it's sort of like, hey, yeah, there's a pandemic, but like we don't want to tell you what to do. Because like if you're wearing a mask, can you really eat the popcorn that we sell you to make a yeah. profit? So, you know, don't, you know, we don't want to make, you don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. It's like, no, make people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. It's a and over 100,000 people are dead. So maybe maybe push a little harder. <laughs> I don't know. It's a, it's a wild world we live in. Because I also understand like these theaters have to open or else they'll never open again. So I don't know. I mean, they don't necessarily have to open right now, but I don't know what I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I'm really curious to see what the what what it looks like. So um, on that on note, that, <laughs> on that cheery note, uh, if you want to give with this podcast, follow us on Twitter. Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? at Adam Chitwood. You can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with you next week. It's that little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken and you know, that's fire. Now, Babu, you know that you could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on negative to positive, we always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. (laughs) Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. Want to hear something amazing? 
Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply.